Blog Talk Radio. Cyberspace, welcome to Squatch Detective Radio for today's day, September 19th, 2010, and our last show of the summer, as next week it'll be that lovely season we all kind of love and kind of dread, it'll be autumn again, and for my good friend from good old uh, Kentuck, Mr. Chris Bennett, how are you tonight, Chris? Hey, Steve, everything's going great in Kentucky, man, I hope uh, yes. I hope everything's doing doing well in your, your part of the country. Well, uh, things are back on keel. Uh, a lot of folks uh, out there know some stuff happened this week, but we're all back. Uh, we're all back uh, with our nose in place. So, onward and upward, I suppose. And uh, you know, Chris, would you like your little traveling music? <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> no problem. Well, well in a good Bigfoot mood. <laughs> yeah, that is. And uh, as we discussed it here for a, a second. Um, uh, I just saw, I think our guest that couldn't make it popped in for a second, but I'm not sure. But anyway, our, our first guest here, uh, uh, we're, we're doing a little bit of a different format tonight. We're, we're trying to bring out a couple of guests to show, kind of keep things rolling along a little bit. And uh, let me let me pop, uh, uh, our first guest tonight, of course, will be the, uh, a lot of people know and love this guy. He's been a long-time researcher. Uh, people know him uh, from the Washington State as, Jason or Jay Valeni, and uh, he is now the uh, public relations director for the Falcon Bigfoot 24/7 project, and uh, we're going to have him on. And uh, uh, say hello, Jason. Hello, guys. Uh, it's me. I'm here. Well, thanks, thanks for thanks for giving us a shout. We we kind of had a little snafu because uh, Mr. Longbow, our, our guest for the I think the second half, 
I'm not sure who was on the first half or second half now. They kind of escapes me, and you all know why. But uh, let me just uh, pop over on Is that Mr. Longbow on, uh, on the 330 area code? That is me. You made it. I made it. I got all right. coverage. I'm here. All right. Blessed be. Um, I'll leave it up to you guys. Who, uh, Jay, can you hang on to the second half, and we'll get, uh, we'll get Mr. Longbow in first? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'll just I'll call back in later. Okay, great, Jay. We'll talk to you in a little bit. And um, so, uh, Greg, uh, we, we, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll bring you uh, we'll bring you on real quick because uh, because I know you're you're kind of uh, here. Uh, you're probably going to have to go back to work, are you not? <laughs> yes, I yes I am. <laughs> okay, so let let's shuffle you in and shuffle you out, and because we got some news to get to, but we'll get to that. Okay. Towards the bottom half of the half hour, and uh, so what's been going on, uh, Mr. L? What's what's been happening? I know you you gave us some, uh, you gave me a, an email about some some audio stuff you've been having going on. Um, I, I found that audio on the uh, uh, website. Uh, the description the gentleman has is exactly. Um, I've been trying to find a lot of comparisons as far as searching out what I did here. Um, and just to bring everybody up to speed, I, about 10 years ago, I had a had a vocalization uh, um, happening to me. Um, it scared me pretty bad, and I've been trying to find some answers to it ever since. Um, and I've been doing a lot of Internet research and a few, a little bit on the ground work, uh, looking around the area where this happened to me at. That's what I've been doing lately. Excellent. And uh, so you found the, the, the vocalization that was very similar to the one you had back when. And and uh, sure. do, do you know where we can find that so you can throw it out to us again real quick? Uh, there's, I think a guy on YouTube, there's a guy on YouTube, he has a thing called Ron's Listening. Um, if you just look up for look up Ron's Listening, he has his own YouTube page. Uh, I, he doesn't tell where he's from. Uh, he doesn't give his real name. He's very discreet about it. He has recordings. He had a, he had an encounter, so he puts out a audio um, set up every evening and listens to it when he gets home from work. And he sets this uh, these tapes on the onto YouTube. Um, very good tapes as far as wildlife and then unexplained things he's been hearing uh, where he lives. Um, I've been trying to track the guy down, but it's kind of tough. A lot of people don't want to be found, um, which I can understand that. And uh, it's very, very close, very close to what I encountered. Uh, that's Excellent. close to anything that I've ever heard. Okay, and I'm going to send that link along in the uh, in the chat room, which I just did, because uh, I did right. grab your email and, and get that link in there. So that's the, the link for the... Uh, for the uh, sounds, and uh, they were captured. Did it say where they were captured? I'm trying to just... It does not really. It, he, he gives a short... If you get on his actual page, he gives a short synopsis of how this all happened to him. It does not say where it was from, um, anything like that. I tell you, I did do a little investigation near where I had my encounter. A gentleman had one back in 2005, and I went and looked around the area where he had his encounter. Uh, he actually had a physical sighting uh, very near to where I had my vocalization sighting um, a few years after this happened. Um, so I've been trying to cover a certain area of the map where I'm at and go into places that look pretty good. And, of course, the old no trespassing comes up a lot, but I try to get in where I can legally. That way, not only step on anybody's yep. toes, but uh, I've been, been trying to do a lot of legwork under the guise of going squirrel hunting. That uh, kind of helps out. Yeah. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I see on his page he's got uh, a couple from April and he's got one from July 25th. So I'll give those a listen right. now. Who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe we get him on the show sometime too. Um, nice. We'll that would be so. Anyway, um, yeah, just uh, I, I haven't found anything significant yet. Um, this weekend, I'm going out for a little night jaunt and see what I can find out. Um, I very rarely get two days off in a row, so it's just going to be a, a banner. <laughs> I figured this would be the this would be the time to do it. 
Um, it's a good time of year, and I'm going to give it a shot this weekend. I might have something for you Excellent. in the near future. So you never know. It's always I think Mr. Longbow's going to wrap things up in Ohio up there. Sounds like Steve. That <laughs> sure does. He's, 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 he's got his boots pulled high and his gloves on tight, and he's, he's gone. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the best way to get, if you have questions, it's the best way to get some answers um, is, is you got to get out there and do it yourself. Uh, you got to get out there and do a little looking around. Yeah. I mean, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. I, right. I, I tried to use the Internet as a tool for something to uh, get me some, uh, something close to what I countered. I, I just want, I'm looking for that sound again, even though I kind of don't want to hear it over my shoulder, but I do want to hear it. Yeah. Just something close to it, you know. Well, that's the thing, uh, Dr. Longbow, about the Internet and these sounds. Man can search and find stuff on there, and you can come up with unknown sounds, and, and people don't know what they are. And, you know, really, truly sound uh, recordings, they are intriguing. You know, we we yes. don't really, they're not, uh, uh, they're not going to pin down an animal but uh, for, for a scientific uh, uh, discovery. But, you know, if people in Washington State, or having an unknown animal sound, and I have it recorded, and then we have an unknown sound in Ohio or unknown sound in Kentucky, which is the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it doesn't take a math genius to put two and two together. Exactly, exactly. I agree. That there's a, uh, you know, that's that, that was the whole, uh, you know, thank God for people that do post things like that. And I'm not talking yeah. about the fake stuff. I've been running into, um, you know. <laughs> it's just it's it makes you feel like they think everyone that's doing any kind of searching trying to get an answer to this is stupid, and that that's just my straight out feeling. A lot of people that post that garbage, right? Um, it's it's just I, I, I to me it's criminal why you would do something like that. Because um, believe it or not, there are people that have um, I'm not going to say problems with it, but they, some people have had the life scared out of them by their experience. Yeah. Um, and they're lo- looking for an answer. And then you got some guy like the, the yellow top crap that I ran into. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's ignorant. I mean, I don't know why anybody would do anything like that to a person that's, you're trying to take this serious and you're trying to find an answer and you get garbage like that. It's, you got just got to be careful what you find out there because uh, it's, some of it's really a joke. Yep. Well, you know, uh, like I said, this uh, the other thing that, that also bothers me a lot is people just putting evidence out there for putting, you know, evidence sake out there. And, right. Um, right. Yeah. You know, like uh, you know, I, I've seen some really strange things, and one of them uh, was like, "Oh, yeah, this is evidence that that Bigfoot, you know." jumps the parallel universe. Look, you'll see eyes shine here, and now it's gone. And you'll be like, well, duh, the thing looked away. <laughs> yeah, it either you know. closed its eyes or it looked away. You know, that's uh, – uh, and you get a lot of people that want to research it but haven't spent any time in the outdoors. Uh, and it's kind of – now Now you're – that's like uh, running over to Iraq and wanting to jump in with the, uh, you know, Screaming Eagles, the, <laughs> the airport division. Hey, I want to jump in and help. It doesn't. It doesn't no. work that way. You've got to. I, I think a lot of people that they show on TV that leave their cushy office and grab their backpack or get the LLB catalog and load up on some gear and head out. Uh, that's that's not the kind of dude I want to be walking with in the woods, man. You know, uh, it's just that's just my theory on it. So. Well. Uh... Mr. Longbow, I, I want to thank you for coming in real quick and, and, and giving us those updates. Um, so, uh, you know, and I hope uh, you're doing well with that uh, group that I sent you up there in Ohio, and uh, I'm looking forward for you and Chris get together. That's going to be a real good time. So, I'm trying to get something planned for this uh, coming summer with, with Chris. So, Awesome. Uh, awesome, awesome. State, so I'd like to go back and see what I can, you know, hook up with that fine gentleman, see what we can do. Yeah. Um, you know, Chris had a, a very uh similar episode. He's uh well I'll let Chris handle it and it's he was doing a little bit of writing on some stick structures, I believe, uh over at the BFF, the Kindler Gendler BFF now, and uh it's oh, doing yeah. a great job. Um and um 
one of the things uh, I noted is that they must be following my Twitter feed uh, because they, they put the show's date as the 20th. For some reason, and I've contacted Blog Talk, the, the show is always on Sundays, and for some reason, it'll auto-post the show for the next day. And I still haven't figured why it's doing that. <laughs> but, and, 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 they, and they haven't come up with any answer for me. I've complained, and they said nothing. So I may have to kill the, the automatic Twitter feed for, for Blog Talk, because it's, it's really thrown. <laughs> but, yes, we are, are on uh, every Sunday night, not Monday night, which is, would be the 20th. Um, but uh Chris, why don't you, you talk about some of those things about uh, the the I found it really funny that that the per one person that 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 well, Chris is gonna tell a story and how this one particular poster said, Well, I automatically dismiss all strict stick structures. <laughs> and and I'll let Chris tell the story because I found I went, Well <laughs> it's part well, of the course. I'm a big fan of forums. I love uh, when people get together and compare information. I love to read about it, and I love to compare info with folks. And so, uh, you know, uh, with an optimistic approach, you know, I've headed over to the new Bigfoot forums, the new and improved forum. And i got to say, I'll tell you what, I think it's uh, so far it's, it's got an A uh, on, on my grading scale because they're doing a good job. The... Uh, uh, there's a lot of good posts. I mean, uh, I started a thread uh, on stick structures, and there's a lot of people that, that's putting some good input, and, and a lot of guys are posting some pictures, and we're discussing them. And there are, I have noticed, there are a few of the skeptics that have migrated over from the other online skeptic forums. But, you know, that's to be expected. And you got to kind of take their, uh, they, they don't, their point of view, they just, they don't want this to be true. And uh, unfortunately for them, you know, I, I, there's are people like me and other people that know it's true that we've seen them. These things exist, and, but I don't know if it uh, if it's not within their worldview to accept an unknown hairy primate is still undiscovered out there somewhere. But uh, one one particular skeptic, and I won't mention any names because I don't want to uh, throw dirt at anybody. But uh, you know, he was. Uh, he was of the opinion that the stick structures have nothing to do with Bigfoot because it's never been proven a correlation. And, you know, that's, uh, according to everybody's research, that's just what I was wanting to discuss and uh, look into this a little further. But I don't see how you can dismiss something with an absolute and you don't even have any time in the field to check it out or experiment with it. Well, and that's what you found out too. <laughs> yeah, I found out. Yeah, the the skeptic that was, uh, and I say skeptic. I always, I always, I, the reason I say skeptic is because I, I noticed that the individual does post on a lot of the other skeptic forums. But uh, uh, we found out that uh, he doesn't do any Bigfoot field research, and yet he had a comment about stick structures that you know there was nothing to them. Well, I just, I just, I can't see dismissing something without even doing any research on it. But that's me. It seemed like to me, you know, for me to be satisfied, there has to be an investigation of something. Uh, and, you know, if we can do some comparison from around the country, uh, that would be great, too. And, you know, uh, I don't rule it out. There may not be anything to do with them. I personally believe that the creatures do have something to do with a small percentage of them. But, uh, you know, I'm not talking about the stick structures you'll find uh, behind the KOA campgrounds that little kids have put together or some hunters put together as a, a deer hunting blind or something. But uh, I'm talking about the ones that are miles back in the woods where you know a human humans are not uh, going there on a regular basis. And those structures just kind of pop up over a day or so. Now, those we're not just talking about... And we're not just talking a couple of you know a couple of sticks laying on the ground you know that look like they're pointing in a direction. We're talking about you know like thirty or twenty or fifteen that are stacked up against a tree or around a tree, which I have actually seen near a, a fresh Bigfoot sighting. So yeah, yeah. The, the mainly the what what constitutes a stick structure to my eye, and see I, I consider them. I think personally now this is just my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. That and a dollar will get you a cup of coffee. But uh, I think they use them as sort of a day blind, a kind of a, a hiding area, in order to be to, uh, out of sight, uh, to keep out of a direct line of sight, uh, you know, from the woods. Because some of these structures are massive. 
the ones that I've located anyway. I mean, we're talking 30 yep. feet long, maybe 15, 20 feet deep, and maybe 7 feet high. And we're talking limbs and uh, brush piled up uh, very neatly in some trees, you know. But, uh, again, you know, that's just my opinion. I, I have located some secondary evidence around a few of the structures, which, of course, we're not going to release anything because that doesn't prove anything. But uh, that's one of the uh, the uh, the question marks that, that, that pops up, you know, is uh, is there secondary evidence in the structure? And some of them that I have found, there has been. So that's why I think it's worth a look. And if anybody else has any pictures or, or, or would like to discuss them, man, just, uh, just bump over to the BFF. And uh, and hit the stuff. Yep. And uh, anybody wants to talk about stuff tonight? Uh, our call in number is three four seven nine nine six five eight zero zero. And uh, anybody in the chat room wants to ask questions, just put the uh, questions in caps. Uh, uh, the second half hour of the show, we'll be talking with Jason Valeni of the Bigfoot Twenty Four Seven Project. Looking forward to that. We had. Uh, uh, their uh, founder, William Allen Barnes, back on in February, and uh, it was very interesting to hear about what the, the plan was. And uh, tonight, Dave's going to come on. We're going to talk about you know where the plan's going and how's it progressing. So, and uh, there's some some pretty good and interesting developments going on there. Uh, a couple of newsworthy notes is that our, our one of the uh, Bigfoot Facebook groups. Uh, Oh, I want to say last weekend had made mention of the uh, New York baby video, and they had gotten a couple of things uh, not on the mark. Uh, so I, what I actually did was I actually redid a lot of the work I had did on the New York baby video, uh, including a couple of uh, animated sequences, or not animated sequences, but a couple of sequences which uh, show a little more detail of what we're talking about. You know, if people ever saw that video and go, what the heck is that? You know, check on over at the website squatsective.com and uh, click on the, uh, the New York Baby Revisited. Um, a lot of interesting stuff there, including for the first time ever the actual picture that was sent to me with the video itself. And uh, pretty cool. You know, very yeah, very interesting. And uh, I, I hope it's uh, streaming a little bit better because that is a direct uh, that stream is directly off the high quality copy. So I'm hoping that stream's a little bit better than what was previously out there. Um, so we'll see. Uh, a couple other notes. Uh, one of a, of, a, of a very interesting note, and uh, you know, although we have our differences, I'm sorry to say that uh, apparently Tom Biscardi has a, uh, you know, a very severe illness in his family. One of his sons is terminally ill. Of course, we wish him and his family the best uh, in that situation. Um, you know that that transcends any political or philosophical differences um, I may have with him, but a very interesting story that happened to him apparently when he was leaving Las Vegas. Um, apparently, he had um, gotten involved with a consignment shop to sell off apparently his uh, bedroom, office, and living room sets, and uh, apparently. They uh, sold the stuff off and never gave Biscardi a dime. So, and there was a big there was a big news report uh, on that on CBS Eight in Las Vegas over that, and he wasn't the only one. And uh, if anybody wants to check that story out, that's over at squatchd.blogspot.com, or you can get that again through the website. Just look on Squatch Detective's blog on uh, squatchdetective.com, and they'll get you over to that story. Um, yeah, can I say? But while we're on that other note, there was uh, something that that, that had occurred um, uh, last week uh, in the midst of, and uh, you know, Chris, I, I, you know, you know what I've been through this week. <laughs> I, I discussed it a little bit earlier, and uh, in, in the midst of all that, uh, the first day that all that stuff was going down, I, I, I came home and. Uh, I get a friend request on on Facebook, and uh, I had accepted it. Maybe that was like Monday or whatever. And Tuesday, I get this little email uh, by the name of a guy by the name of Steve Cawthorn, who had you know basically said, you know, well, I, I you know I have a radio show, and I'm a great admirer of Tom. And you know, I, I knew this guy was trying to get my goat, so I turned around to him very bluntly and said, Tom, Tom who? 
<laughs> Thomas Gardy? I go, what work has he done? And needless to say, the guy said, well, I was warned about you from somebody you're close to on Monster Quest, and the guy decided to block me and everything. And that, that kind of was the coward's way out. Number one, uh, I, I can tell with, with pretty much certainty, there's nobody close to me on Monster Quest, the episode I did, that would uh, ever, ever, ever say uh, things like that to a person who follows Biscardi and wants to back Biscardi, uh, al contraire. Well, Steve, um, you know, that's, that's just a cheap yeah. shot, and it's kind of child. Well, well, how, uh, okay, exactly. Exactly. And, of course, I offered him for two days to come on the radio show to talk about it and to answer two questions. And one was, what was the great accomplishments? What, what work has Tom Scardy actually done? And two was to was to uh, answer the question, okay, who was it that talked about me? Because I think you're full of baloney. Needless to say, the, the guy ducked the challenge and whatever. I was having a real bad week, and Chris, you can understand that. There's a lot of listeners out there, uh, my friends out there that know what kind of week I had. So I, I, I was in no mood to, to, to mess around. I put it right between the guy's eyes. I had to. I just It was a wrong time, a wrong moment in time, and I did that. And, of course, today, kind of taking a little more reflective things. The guys, no more. We're moving on. And, of course, in a few minutes, we're going to have uh, – uh, Jay Valenian, and that's going to be. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing from from Jay about the the Falcon Project. And of course, uh, for those who don't know, for a quick question there, Steve. Huh? We have one guy, uh, TD Denman. What's what's your opinion if you think the Patterson Gimlin film was real or fake? Um. <laughs> well, I. Uh, I. Uh, there's times I feel like it's the real thing, and there's times I don't. Uh, I think on the photographic evidence alone, I think it's, it, it seems very real. But uh, the problem I have with it, there seems to be a little bit of problem with the timeline. I think, uh, you know, but that could be for other reasons, too. So uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards it's authentic, but I, you know, I'm not going to knock the film just because of the timeline anymore. I, uh, nobody knows for sure except the guys who shot it. What, somebody shot one? Oh, no, that's no, the deal. there. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other show. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but, um, well, for those who don't know, um, and before Jay gets on, and hopefully he'll be calling in in a, a few moments, but um, uh, the uh, Bigfoot 24-7 project was the uh, project originally when they had William Allen Barnes on. He had, the, uh, he had this blimp he was trying to build or whatever and now apparently it's gone to a double airship like a twin blimp uh it's going to have like a camera platform and of course i'm not going to take any of jay's thunder away but it was a very interesting premise and there was a lot of talk in the chat room and some people saying it's going to work some people saying it's not going to work well you know we'll have jason Valeni on and, and and maybe he can uh he can uh fill us in what he thinks and uh, obviously i think if he's Part of that um, project, I, I think he's uh, a, a believer that it's going to work. So, very um, very interesting concept, anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, not not necessarily the first time that it's been done, but uh, I think to this uh, level of eagerness and level of uh, professionalism, I think uh, very interesting stuff and. You know, I, I wrote a little clip on the Examiner about it a couple of weeks ago, and it got me thinking maybe it's time we revisit that a bit. Uh, I, I know there were some people talking about, you know, the delays and whatnot, and, you know, a lot of people felt that, that you know, William Barnes had said some things that made them believe that it was going to be taken off earlier. And, you know, it was true back in February, William was kind of hoping it get off by July, of course. And it, as with any bureaucracy or any kind of project, there's always – you know, delays and cost well, yeah. overruns. With any project of that scope, you know, there's always going to be delays. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to. We were at the 30 minute mark, so I'm, I'm hoping Jay calls back real quick. <laughs> um, we've gone through a lot of our material, but um, anything. Uh, well, actually, while, while we're here, uh, a couple of programming notes. I'm going to be on uh, a pair of normal guys. Uh, they've run a show on Blog Talk Radio. On uh, Monday, the 26th at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a half-hour show, so I'll be on that show. 
And on the 28th, I'm going to be on Bigfoot Quest with uh, Bob Point and Mike Kellen so, as a guest. So I'm looking forward to that. And without further ado, let me, let me put uh, Jason. Hello. How are you tonight? Oh, or, is, is that, or is that Bill? Oh, this is Bill. Hey, Bill. Hang on one second. I got Jason on the horn. Can you hang on one second? Yeah. Okay. I clicked the wrong one. And Jason, how are you? Good. How are you doing? All right. So, um, you know, for for our guests, I mean, we had uh, we had uh, William Barnes on back last February, and it was a really great discussion. And and he did the best he could to kind of explain, you know, the processes of the everything. But you're the PR, you're, you're the media relations guy. So I think, you know. Can you refresh the audience's mind on what, what the uh, the 24/7 Falcon Project is and and where it's at and what's been going on? Sure, I'd love to share with that. Um, let's see here. I'm gonna take this off speakerphone. Um, okay, where we're at now, I guess what the Falcon Project is. I'll start with that. Is um, we are uh, in the process of we're still getting funding for the project, so we don't have any equipment yet. But um, we are sourcing out investors for the project. But basically, um, what we've come up with for an idea to do um, for Bigfoot research was basically doing surveillance utilizing an airship. At this point, we're looking at a dual airship, and it is going to house a, um, a it houses a proprietary propulsion system. I mean, basically, it's like having a jet ski in the sky. Highly maneuverable. Um, uh, the engines are dampened uh, with this proprietary propulsion system, so that the noise is greatly reduced. Um, the payload—I can't remember off the top of my head—but it's enough to carry uh, a nice um, gyro with the camera and the batteries and and a couple of other uh, instrumentation pieces. And um, let's see. Um, what a lot of people, one of the most in interesting things as far as feedback that I've gotten since I have, I've contacted probably the biggest names in Bigfoot research out there to send them the prospectus for them to look over. And uh, what's interesting as far as some of the critique on our idea is that what we failed to realize is that most people have the impression that a blimp or an airship being used for these purposes would be just a few feet above the treetops. That's what most people, their first impression when they hear this, that's that's where their mind goes. And so a lot of people just don't believe that that's going to be effective. Mm -hmm. Well, let me clear up for, for anybody that's heard of the Falcon Project and what you think of it so far. This is how highly visible and penetrating our camera system is going to be. Um, at a thousand feet above the treetops, um, we've been given some uh, aerial images of what it looks like in the daytime. And you can see a lot. You know, even in a pretty forested area, there's a lot of uh, space between trees. And at a thousand feet above the treetops, you get quite a bit of visibility. And the camera that we're going to be using is a thermotechnics thermal imaging camera with, I think, a 180-millimeter lens, wide angle. Now, what that gives us the ability to do is, obviously, most people are familiar with thermal imaging, and you can see heat signatures. Well, William Dranginis, um, because he works in this field of surveillance, is going to be equipping the camera with uh, image pattern recognition so that if we are you know, cruising above the treetops at a thousand feet and we see heat signatures. Um, he has the ability to dial certain uh, settings on the camera so that if it's an elk or if it's a deer, it will be that color because it can, it can recognize the pattern of the animal. So gotcha. the surveillance is pretty fast. So it's like, if you really think about it, we'll be able to cover a lot of ground in a very short period of time. And uh, so I'm not sure, I'm not really sure how much William told you about the, the technical details of what we're set up with. So am I? Uh, he, he didn't. He didn't really say much because at the time I think a lot of it was on paper. 
Oh, it was more conceptual. So, okay. Yeah, it was more conceptual, and he was kind of unsure, and he would even state that, well, I don't know the technical aspects of this or that or anything like that. So. Right. Okay. Well, um, okay, well, I'll get into a little more detail. Um, the uh, the airship is going to be at least 35 feet long. Um, it's We're using helium, so the payload is uh, – it's not that great. I mean, it's like less than 140 pounds, I believe. <laughs> You don't want to be like the Hindenburg and use hydrogen, that's for sure. Yeah. Although from what I from some of the research we've been doing, some of the carbon fiber uh frames and um some of the te- some of the technology they're employing for hydrogen airships sounds pretty good to me. I think it might be mm-hmm. possible that uh that kind of technology could be utilized in the future because obviously the Absolutely. payload would be even greater. I'm just not so sure that a passenger, you know, would even want to consider, uh, you know, riding in one of those, even if they could. But anyway, um, the uh, um, so what? So our plan is is that we're going to be uh, using vehicles, you know, basically like pickup trucks, and uh, we'll be mobile on the road, and we'll be going into areas that, you know, through the network of Bigfoot researchers that are out there, um, you know, wherever there's wherever there seems to be a good spot we should go to is where we're going to go, obviously. And um, and so the imaging system is going to have uh, some very high-tech transmitters. So there's going to be three different um, storage devices so that as video is being taken, it is going to be recorded on the airship itself and then transmitted um, through radio waves back to uh the laptop that the person that's going to be maneuvering the camera is recording to hard drive. So we so we'll have multiple backups of all the footage that we shoot through the night, and I think we're going to be shooting this mostly through the night. I'm not really sure. I mean, we've had discussions of what we think is going to happen, but as everyone knows, once you get into any new venture, there's usually a lot of changes and adaptation to the experience. So. Um, but for now, we're, we're thinking we're probably, because as far as we know, it seems like, you know, uh, Bigfoot is probably a night creature. Uh, Jason, we do have a question from our chat room. Sure. Uh, uh, one of our chat rooms, T.P. Denman, is uh, asking, is there a certain time of year that's best to look? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it seems like um, everybody that I've talked to that would have uh, credible knowledge on on their whereabouts and their migration patterns, if they have any, um, I I'm thinking that as far as like in the Pacific Northwest, you don't want to be doing this in November because then the balloon will blow away. It gets really yeah. windy, you know, in the fall. Um, so. I mean, we're thinking probably being down south during more of the winter months, like maybe in the southeast, Texas, mm-hmm. you know, areas like that, uh, like November through May, April, you know, around that time, and then coming back up to the to the west, you know, during the warmer months when it's not quite as windy. Um, I do know that we it's hard to operate the airship in winds of excess of 15, 20 miles per hour. Wow. There's a lot of considerations. Now, is that a pretty tight guideline now, Uh, 15, 20 miles? uh, You're going to have a lot of days that are going to have those 15, 20 mile hour. um, Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So there's there's a lot of things to consider when using an airship. I mean, there could be, I mean, there might be more downtime than we anticipated, you know. I mean, that's... That I mean, it's it's never been done before, as far as we know, uh, for the purposes of you know doing surveillance for Sasquatch. So, I think you know we're going to learn a lot. I mean, it's obviously going to be a pretty eye-opening experience. Now, now, how did how did you bump into William? Uh, there's always a great because you seem you seem to be there. Uh, you seem to have been there since the, almost the first day because I know William when we had him back in February he was talking about you being part of the project and he was very excited about that. But um, was it really just one day say, hey, I want to do this? And you guys said, sure. Or was this well, just... Yeah, it kind of happened uh, after I had done a radio show last year and I can't even remember who it was with. Um, within like, I don't know, like 24 hours after a radio show I did last, uh, I don't know if it was last November or December, he contacted me and... Uh, 
and he said, hey, I heard you on the radio show last night. I really like what you said. And and so we just got to chatting on the phone, and he, you know, he started pitching me this idea. And I'm like, well, you know, it's funny. My roommate, Mike, has been talking about this for four years. And, uh, you know, getting a blimp up in the sky, you know, with, uh, with cameras, it, you know, would be the ultimate way, you know, to approach it from the air, you know, in a, in a quiet way. And so we connected immediately. I mean, once he threw that idea out for discussion, I was I was all over that. And I was like, you know, well, I would love to, to, to launch a surveillance project. And he says, I think I can pull it off. So that's basically how our relationship got started. Now, you know, I... I, I, I've seen a few things critical, and, and I, I think that the, the criticism I've seen is is that, you know, why is it taking so long? And I, I, I have a good feeling why. I know why things take as long as they do. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, you know, there are the critics out there, and, and, you know, is it all just a matter of funding, or is it a matter yeah. of design? It, it, it's all, you know, it's all about money, Steve. It's all about yeah. money. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we need a couple hundred grand to pull this off. I mean, there's just there's no way around it. You know, we have to fill up the helium every time you take a trip. You know, helium's not cheap, and we got to have canisters of that delivered to us no matter where we're at. And we're trying to do it so that we're out in the field all year long. And that's gonna, you know, to support that many people, you know, a crew of three or four people, it's gonna take some cash. So it's just one of those things where it just takes some money. And so um, we were trying. One of our strategies was to try to hit up all of the nonprofits first, but now I think mm-hmm. we're just going to go. Um, this week I'm going to be finishing up a, a, a number, a, a second business plan that is going to be targeting investors who will recoup their investments instead of looking for donations. Because mm-hmm. at first we were looking for donations only, and mm-hmm. now that we haven't gotten any bites, now we're going into you know uh, we've got some connections. I mean we've actually had some investors yep. request a business plan that is written for investors. And so um, my girlfriend and I are working on that right now. So that's going to be... uh, Hey, you can always trick the balloon out like NASCAR. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, here comes the Venzoil dirigible coming across. You know, it's funny. We we, we talked about that. We've talked about trying to get advertisers on the balloon. The problem is that the balloon won't carry the weight. That's the funny thing. Even (laughs) paint. Even painting, you know, some kind of uh, advertisement, you know, wouldn't work. So, it, 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 you know, and who's going to see it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, out in the middle of the night, out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, Squatchy shows up at Joe's diner because he saw it painted on a blimp. Lord, Christopher, we got any questions going on or any ideas? Well. uh... I think it was the uh what's this guy's name? Uh P. P. Denman I had a question is do they know of a migration path? Uh, I don't know if that was I don't know if I, I, I don't know of an exact path, but I have a feeling they do move uh to several places throughout the year. Or actually a couple at least a couple places throughout the year. But um they don't fly south for the winter. <laughs> well, I know up here there seems to be, um, I mean, in my own research in, in the area that I'm at, in Whatcom County, you know, where Bellingham is, mm-hmm. I, I definitely, you know, see a distinct pattern in the in the reports that they do occur in very specific areas throughout the year. And, you know, we have, you know, some salmon runs up through a lot of the rivers, um, in the Puget Sound, and there does seem to be, with consistency, sightings that follow the salmon runs. And so I don't know that that qualifies as a migratory pattern, but, you know, what is a, what is a migratory pattern uh, any more than following where the food is, you know, or the warmth? Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's like there's so much, you know, conjecture, and, you know, we're always talking about, you know, about, well, are they really the type of mammal or primate that would migrate, you know, are they nomadic? Um, how much food is really out in the forest that we're not even aware of, you know, it's that. who knows? I mean, I don't know. I and mean, we're just taking our best guess with, with how we're approaching it. From, from what I've learned of primate studies is that primates will migrate, you know, you know, if there's a stronger food source to a particular area, 
Um, you know, which may explain the salmon run. It may also explain, you know, like a reason I have very similar on the East Coast is, um, you know, we have a spike in, in sightings from around July till November. But a lot of sightings we occur September, October, November. But that's the, you know, that's kind of like the the, census, uh, the, the median of the uh, hunting season. So is it just that there's more people in the woods at that time and start seeing these things? Or is it that they're they're all year round or not. No. Good point. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's just population of people in one area. I mean, I'm sure the salmon run draws a lot of uh, fishermen and tourists and stuff like that to the area as well. So, who knows? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the migration has to do with food. They, they seem to know when the apple trees are going to be bearing and when the peach trees are going to be bearing. And <laughs> you and that peach tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my feeling too. It, it's got to be about the food. I mean, that's. I mean, they're. I mean, they're not doing anything else creative. I mean, they're not weaving baskets and sewing them on blankets and on the side of a highway. So they've got to be pretty connected to food sources. And it just seems to me that if you just follow where the food is, then that's where you're going to find them. Now, now you've been doing you've been doing Bigfoot research for a long time. Uh, how many years have you been at it? A while. Well, I, I'm I'm not well, I'm not as as hardcore field researchers as, as you are, but you know I mean I, I've spent a lot of bit of, I've spent quite a bit of time out in the field in Whatcom County, and I moved from Florida, even though my sighting that I had was actually in Florida. I didn't. I mean, I I didn't get out and do anything when I was down there. It just because my sighting was four hours away north, and I lived in the city, and so I just knew that I needed to get up to the Pacific Northwest, and I moved up here in 1999 and attended attended my first conference in uh, Vancouver in 1999, and so um, I have done some field research. I mean, I. I mean, I'm not anybody that's hardcore about it. I mean, I got more in, I got more interested in the philosophy of it, and I think mm-hmm. that's probably my strong point is, you know, tying the existence of Bigfoot to some other possible scenarios and meanings. But, I mean, the bottom line is, as you know, we all need to have evidence, you know, and if the evidence yep. was brought in, then every theory that's on the table can be uh, addressed in a much more democratic and fair way because if we got to, we got hard evidence. It's going to tell us a lot about what is true and what's not true. So I, you know, I've been up here for ten years doing this. You know, I go out with some buddies and we go out and do you know wood knocks and look like fools and holler and all that shit. <laughs> so I mean, there isn't anything special that I've done. You know, it's like I mean, the only thing I think that was probably of greater significance was getting on the reservation and connecting with the Native Americans. And I learned a lot by doing that. And so yeah. in 2004, in 2004, I did a lot of research on the Lummi Reservation and uh, learned a lot. And I had some pretty close calls. I mean, I heard them. I smelled them. I saw the glowing red eyes. Nice. And that was that was huge. I mean, that was pretty amazing yeah. for me. And I was going out like every night for months, uh, staying out all night and just driving around the reservation to different spots. So that was pretty significant. But not any, you know, not any real major camp, you know, going camping for a week and going into some really remote areas. I haven't really done any of that stuff, except like once. I mean. Now, uh, would you would you care to share your uh, sighting back in Florida with the audience? Sure. Oh, that would be yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, what got me started in this whole thing is uh, in 96, I was coming home uh, from a road trip, and eight hours one way. And uh, we went up and did our little business meeting, and we're on our way back. We left uh, Pensacola at midnight, wound up in Tallahassee at 4 a.m. And uh, to save having to drive more miles, we dropped down onto a, a road that hugged the Gulf of Mexico. We were trying to get to US-19, but the junction to get there, I totally botched up some directions I got from a cop. And uh, about 15 minutes outside of Tallahassee, out in, the, out in it was pretty woodsy. You know, it was, I don't remember ever passing any driveways in 40 miles. And there was no car behind me. We didn't pass a car the entire time until we got to US-19 and it started going east. But um, 
and the reason I think that we, got it, that we had the opportunity to see this uh, Sasquatch is because I think I was traveling from the east on this road, kind of going back in the direction mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to be going. And I think subconsciously this this Sasquatch was thinking that the sun was rising because she was facing me, and she was squatting down behind a tree that had fallen through the forest, which the tip of it, the whole tree was perpendicular to the road, but she was on the other side of the tree facing me. Uh, and it looked like I think she was probably ripping apart a bird's nest. And so I... Uh, I remember as a first impression, I thought it was an Irish setter, you know, that was off on the, off to the side of the road. And, um, and so when I recognized that there was an, that there was an animal, I remember looking down at my dashboard and, uh, and noticed that my brights were not on. So I, I flashed my brights on. And in that moment, this, this movement of hair froze and then the eyes appeared like glowing orange eyes. <laughs> I saw orange eyes, but the guy sitting next to me always said that he claimed that he saw green eyes. And so, mm-hmm. which I can explain that because I actually was at a party where we were looking at the same dog and the person sitting next to me saw different color eyes than I did. And as soon as I moved my head over in front of her face, I saw what she was talking about. So I think that's why we both saw two different color eyes because it's kind of like that, right. uh, you know, night vision, more rods and more cones. Anyway, right. um so we were bearing down on this thing at probably about 50 miles an hour. It was a freshly blacktop road. And um, flashed my brights on, see the eyes, the motion stops, and then the next moment the thing stands up. And so I start slamming on the brake. And so we're coming to a stop pretty quickly. And I, my, my whole experience was, was looking over the steering wheel at her and losing sight of her at the passenger side window. And I had a topper on the back of my, this is a little Toyota pickup truck, little SR5. And so I lost sight of her right there. Now, Dennis got to see something much more dramatic than I did because he got to put his hands on the window glass and uh, look at her from behind. Can you hear me okay? I'm sitting outside my truck. Is, Is the rain drowning me out? Not at all. Not at all. Okay, cool. I just want to check with you because it's getting loud in here for me to to hear myself talk. (laughs) Um, So Dennis puts his hand on the glass, and he's looking back. And from a standing position, he saw her regain her composure and do the standing broad jump and pivot off of her left foot, twist 90 degrees to the left, and then land in the forest 30 feet away in a stride. And I remember the first time he told me this, uh, which was a long time after we had had this experience together. It's kind of funny. We we didn't after it was all over with. Um, well, this, this is what was funny. While he's looking at this thing and experiencing that whole watching her do that, I was in the process of pulling the emergency brake, taking off my seatbelt. My door was opening up. My left foot's hitting the tape. <laughs> I'm on my way out the door because I am so blown away. I'm just like, I want to get a second look. Are you kidding me? You know, I just I was so excited. <laughs> And, awesome. uh, and yeah, and Dennis had just gotten out of the Gulf War, which he had no sense about him because you know he's uh, he was already in a situation. I mean, it's probably a good thing that he pulled me back in the truck because thing probably would have just snapped me in half. But um, he he just he freaked out. I mean, he just you know I'm on my way out the door and he's watching this whole thing, you know, and he just knew that this thing was powerful and you know it's not something you want to mess with. And so he uh, he grabbed me. And back in the truck, and I looked at him, and I said, "Dude, let's go see this thing." And he's like, "No, man, just drive." <laughs> and, uh, and it's funny because I we didn't talk about it for a year, and I ran into him um, at like an Eckerd Drugs, you know, this drugstore uh, that's popular back east. And uh, we went outside, and, and I and the girlfriend I had at the time, and I said, "Okay, you tell her what happened to us that." Night. And he immediately reached in his back pocket and was, you know, fumbling with his cigarettes and just visibly shaken. You know, just recounting the whole thing was a little traumatic for him. And he told the whole story just like I did, except he said he saw green eyes. And then he um, told us about, you know, seeing it from behind and then jumping, you know. I, I have two quick questions. And, and then, unfortunately, you know, time flies. We only got a, a few minutes left. Sure. Um <laughs> But uh, question number one is, uh, you keep referring to the uh, creature as a she. Is there a particular reason? 
Yeah, the reason I refer to it as a C is that I, I didn't know what I was looking at at the time. I mean, I, mm. I didn't even know what to call it. I, I didn't even know it was a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. I just knew it was like a big-looking hairy ape. And uh, But it had an hourglass figure, and it had boobs. Or not, it, it's okay. not that it had... It, but it, it, you know, the, the hair on its chest was very, very long, and it swang back and forth. You know, and it, 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 some about it didn't look right. You know, I was just like, and so when I was describing this, you know, three years later after I had my sighting to the guys in Vancouver at Stephen Harvey's uh, Sasquatch Symposium, it was unanimous. Everybody, in the room, oh, you you saw a female with breasts, and I was like, mm. well, you know, that makes sense. It probably was because yeah. the hips the hips were as wide as the shoulders. And it was a, you know, and it wasn't built like Patty. It was built more like an NBA basketball player. So it definitely had an hourglass figure. I could tell it was a, I mean, it made sense to me that it was a female something because it just had that build like a female human. And this was on the the, the Panhandle, was it, of Florida? Yeah, it was in Apalachicola National Forest. If you Google Apalachicola National Forest, you'll see. I think there's there's a road that that, that goes southwest out of it. That connects to I think it's I don't know what it's I don't know what it's called beyond like if US 19 is hugging the Gulf Coast and then starts leveling yeah. out and going to the uh, west whatever road the that reason is. why no, reason why I ask is that my second sighting I, I had was in Alabama about 20 miles outside of Panama City so <laughs> oh there you go yeah it, it, yeah yeah that's very yeah. close to where mine was yeah yeah um, yeah and then there so was Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. I was just going to say, a scientist contacted me um, in two years. Two years later after my sighting, I posted on a message on the Internet that I had had this experience, and then a, a scientist from St. Petersburg contacted me and said, which he, he wants to remain anonymous. He doesn't want me to use mm-hmm. his name, but he said, don't feel bad or feel like, you know, uh, well, he just you can feel good about your sighting and that it really did happen in case you're questioning it because there's another guy. <laughs> that like a month after I had mine had reported seeing the same description. Because I always reported it as blonde. I mean, to me, it looked blonde. Dennis always said it looked like it was light brown. But, you know, like people argue about that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I've yeah, yeah. my girlfriend's a hairdresser, and she'll point out somebody that I think has brown hair and say, oh, well, technically that's really blonde. And I'm like, well, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, um, well, but, yeah, he, he, he told me that um, there was a sighting in the same area, and it had a young with it that was half its size, same coloring. So. Very cool. Well, well, Jason. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, we'll have to have you come on in a, in a month or so. And uh, but if there's any updates with the project, please give us a shout. Feel free to give us a call in. Oh, you bet I will, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, Chris, uh, any any final final questions or comments for the night before we close out? No, I think you might got them covered. Super guest. Thanks again, Jason. Keep us updated, man. Sounds great. You bet, Chris. All right, folks. Well, another another episode of Squash Detective Radio is in the can. Uh, we'll catch you all next week, uh, next Sunday at 9 p.m. Of course, next Sunday is a special show. It's going to be uh, an anniversary show. Uh, this show was created uh, on September 24th. The first show aired September 24th, 2006. And the next show is going to be September 26, 2010. So we're going to have a lot of clips and uh, stuff from years past. And, boy, we got a lot of stuff. So I think Chris and I are going to have a blast. So, uh, uh, Chris, you have yourself a good night, my brother. You too, man. All right, folks. On behalf of myself and the staff here at Squash Tech Radio, everybody be safe, God bless, and we'll catch you all next week, Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Confusion